Please open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. This will be month number 12. This will be broadcast number 50. And when it comes to the Ten Commandments, whether you are Catholic or Protestant or a Jew or Muslim or just the average man in the streets, most people have heard about the Ten Commandments. And a good number of churches, apostate churches, think they are keeping the Ten Commandments. Let's see how easy this is going to be. Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, look at verse 1 please. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So the Lord, the triune Lord, is speaking to Moses. And it could be God the Father, it could be God the Son, it could even be God the Holy Ghost. We just don't know. This also goes back to the plurality of majesty. Now, if you speak to Jews, religious Jews, they will probably say this, that when it says, let us make man in our own image, God is speaking in a sense of the plurality of majesty. Bit of a mouthful, I know, but it means in essence that he's speaking from the standpoint of the third person. If you go to Buckingham Palace or if you go to anywhere overseas where they have a royal family, they will say, welcome to our kingdom, welcome to our palace, welcome to our country, so on and so forth. That is the plurality of majesty. But of course, from Genesis chapter 1 and also chapter 11, and maybe two or three other places in the Old Testament, God is speaking in heaven. He's not speaking on the earth. When it says, let us make man in our own image, there's nobody present apart from the Spirit and the Son. So therefore, if you force the plurality of majesty to be understood to be just that, then God is speaking to himself. It's kind of worrying, isn't it? But if you take the Trinitarian view, that the Father is speaking to the Son and the Spirit, it makes perfect sense. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, present tense. I have no beginning, I have no end. I am the Alpha and the Omega, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. In other words, you're going to worship me from now on. You will worship me from now on. And the Jews probably thought several things. Well, first of all, we are quite happy to add Jehovah, Yahweh, to our list of gods. We've been worshipping ten gods from memory. And the Lord crippled and destroyed all ten of those gods. And we spent several weeks looking at the destruction of Egypt. And they probably thought to themselves, this, that's okay, we can add Jehovah to Ra. We can add Jehovah to Mercury. Or Jupiter, we can add Jehovah to Allah, no problem whatsoever. But of course, that's not what the Lord wants. Look at verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. This feeds into idolatry. The main sin in scripture, keep your hand there and go to Genesis uh, chapter, let's see now. Genesis chapter 30. Genesis uh, chapter 30, the only way to really understand the bible is scripture with scripture genesis chapter 30 now the first woman the first man the first person in the scripture to fall foul of the lord when it came to idolatry yes was probably eve she was seduced in a spiritual sense but the first real case of literal idolatry putting something or someone before almighty god is of course leah who then feeds into Rachel. Genesis chapter 30, Genesis chapter 30, look at verse 14. And Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them unto his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Give me, I pray thee, of thy son's mandrakes. I want those mandrakes. They help women get pregnant. I am very superstitious. 
And you sometimes wonder, don't you, whether or not Leah and Rachel were saved. I wonder. 15. And she said unto her, It is a small matter that thou hast taken my husband. In other words, you've already taken my husband from me. What more do you want? And wouldest thou take away my sons, mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he shall lie with me tonight for thy sons, mandrakes. Bit of bargaining, bit of bartering. I want the mandrakes, and in return, I'll take your husband. You've got two sisters, two biological sisters, fighting over a man. 16. And Jacob came out of the field in the evening. And Leah went out to meet him and said, Thou must come in unto me, for surely I have hired thee with my son's mandrakes. What a thing to say. I've hired you. I've loaned you out as a result of my, our son's mandrakes. I've won you, if you will, due to our son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. He lay with her that night. A weak man. Look at 17. And God hearkened unto Leah. And she conceived and bare Jacob the fifth son. So it starts with Leah. It starts with Leah. Go to chapter 31. And from Leah it goes to Rachel. It shows how sin is contagious. Chapter 31. Uh, chapter 31. Look at verse uh, 17. Then Jacob rose up and set his sons and his wives upon camels. And he carried away all his cattle and all his goods which he had gotten the cattle of his getting which he had gotten in Padanaram to go to Isaac his father in the land of Canaan. And Laban went to shear his sheep and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. Stolen the images, stolen the idols, the statues, the Virgin Mary. Catholics are very uh, visual. Catholics like to see their God and gods and their queeness. They like to see their queen, they like to see what she looks like, they like to see what their god looks like, they like to have pictures and statues, and it's big business, let's be quite honest, it is big business, outside of indulgences and purgatory, images, idol statues are big business for the Roman Catholic, and go back to the ancient world, it's big business then. You have an account in the book of Acts where Paul was travelling around preaching the gospel, and on one occasion this young girl locks horns with Paul, and she says, we know who you are, a bit like the demons would say about Jesus. We know who you are. The son of the Holy One. The Holy One of God. So on and so forth. The son of God. And they saw, uh, they saw Paul coming. And they said we know who you are. You preach the way of truth. Sometimes demons and devils can tell you the truth. They don't always lie. 20. And Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian. In that he told him not that he fled. So he fled with all that he had. And he rose up and passed over the river. And set his face toward the Mount Gilead. And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled. And he took his brethren with him and pursued after him seven days journey. And they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. He's on the move. He's got two girls with him. He's got Leah and Rachel. One is into mandrakes. The other one is into idols, images. What do they say? You can take the man out of the gutter. Take the girl out of the gutter. But you can't take the gutter out of the girl. You can't take the girl, or you can't take the gutter out of the boy. Not a truth in that. 24. And God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night, and said unto him, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. So you've got a lot of evil, a lot of sin going on, Romans 8, 28. And yet in spite of that, on two occasions, here, verse 24, God steps in to stop Laban from killing Jacob. And also you've got from uh, 30... Verse 17, how God uses evil for his own purpose. He will use evil, he will always use evil for his own purpose. 
The last part of Genesis chapter 50 says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You can't understand that. You can't comprehend how the Lord will take something wicked like idolatry, which results in the death penalty. In fact, were you aware, nine out of the Ten Commandments, if you break them, if you broke them, would result in the death penalty. You won't find many people around the world today preaching this. The most religious Jew, whether Hasidic or Orthodox, doesn't kill anyone for breaking the law. And yet they claim to follow the law, do they? You can't pick and choose. You can't say, well, take the law in a spiritual sense and not apply it in a practical sense, a literal sense. So the Lord deals with Jacob. He deals with his wayward wives. And this is another problem that we'll discuss down the line. Multiple wives. They all had them in the Old Testament. I mean, all of them. It's even possible that Moses had two wives, Zipporah and the Ethiopian. I'm not sure if the first wife, Zipporah, died and he remarried. That could be possible. But it's also possible that he had two living wives. They all had multiple wives. And this is a problem when he gets to the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But they all did. And Jesus told you, if you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Uh, jump down to verse 33. And Laban went into Jacob's tents and into Leah's tents and into the two maidservants' tents, but he found them not. Then went he out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. He's on the search for his idols, his gods, his statues. He's a pagan, and this is the problem when it comes to who you marry. Many people rush into marriages. What does it say? Marry in haste, repent in leisure. This is the truth, isn't it? People rush into things. They see a woman or a man, and they think they're in love with him or her. They marry that person. They're stuck with that person. Unless, of course, they want to break the marriage up. Look at verse 34. Now, Rachel had taken the images and put them in the camel's furniture and sat upon them. And Laban searched all the tent, but found them not. She's desperate to keep them. What sort of a woman? is Rachel. What sort of a woman was Leah? And yet the Lord used them. He blessed both of them. If you go to Israel today, you can visit uh, Rachel's tomb. You can visit these burial spots of the patriarchs and their women. 35, and she said to her father, let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise up before thee, for the custom of women is upon me. My monthly menstrual, my monthly period is upon me, the time of the month. And he searched but found not the images. He's desperate for his gods, his images, his statues. And again, I'm the Lord thy God. 20 verse 2, brought thee out of the land of Egypt. They had many gods, many false religions. Out of the house of bondage, physically and spiritually. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's a tough one. No other gods before me. No other gods before me. 36, and Jacob was wroth and chode with Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my trespass? What is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me? He has no idea. He has no idea that his wife, he really did love Rachel more than Leah. He got stuck with both women, incidentally. It wasn't his choice to have two women. But what man would turn down two women? He didn't turn them down. On top of that, he'll pick up two more women along the way. They're maids. He's got four women that will give him 12 children. What is my trespass? What is my sin? Jesus will say to Pilate, he that has betrayed me is guilty of the worst sin. I'm a slightly paraphrasing. They would say, and never man spoke like this man before. Never a man spoke like this man before. What is my trespass? What is my sin? Judas would try and take the money back into the temple. Have your money back, he would say. What is that to us, they would say. Take your money and get out of our presence. And off Judas goes and hangs himself. What is my trespass? What is my sin? If you were to ask me that, I'd have to spend... Maybe the rest of today telling you what my sins are, what my trespasses are. But in the context, this is dealing with idolatry. This is dealing with superstition. 
This is dealing with wickedness. And to be fair to Jacob, and he had many faults, many sins, when it came to this particular issue, he had no idea what was going on, completely in the dark. 37, whereas thou hast searched all my stuff, there's a term that we use today, get your stuff and get out, pack your stuff up, so on and so forth, whereas thou hast searched all my stuff, what hast thou found of all thy household stuff? Set it here before my brethren and thy brethren, that they may judge betwixt us both. So you see straight away, don't you? You see straight away what is going on. You see Rachel stealing her father's idols. And when the father of hers catches up with her, he's desperate to get back her statues, uh, his statues, his idols, because he wants them back. And this continues to deteriorate. Go to chapter 35. Uh, Genesis uh, 35. Genesis uh, 35. Look at verse uh, 16. And they journeyed from Bethel. And there was but little way to come to Ephrathah. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labour. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labour, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died. That she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died, and Rachel died, and Rachel died, and was buried in the way to Ephrathah, which is Bethlehem. So... The sad story, and it's a brief one, but it's showing you very clearly that before the law, this was condemned, and during the law, this was uh, condemned, and Jacob is shocked that his father-in-law has tracked him down, hunted him down, stopped him from departing with his two wives. To be fair to Jacob, he spent some time with his uh, wives and his children, more than he probably needed to do, but it was time to get out. But he had no idea that Rachel would steal her father's idols. Why she would do that, I guess it goes back to the fact that she may not have been saved, we don't know. Or if she was saved, she was out of fellowship with the Lord. This also feeds into standing in state. If you are saved, your standing in the sight of the Lord is sinless perfection. Romans chapter 4, but your state, but your state, like in the sense of how you are seen in the presence of your peers, can fluctuate. James chapter 2. I don't know if Rachel or Leah were saved, but as I read through these passages, it is pretty severe to see the consequences. And the consequences, of course, as a result of what has taken place, results in, I would suggest, the death of Rachel. But the amazing part of this is how the Lord was behind the scenes. He was uh, overlooking, he was keeping an eye on his children. And that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? If you belong to the Lord, he belongs to you. He will uh, keep you safe and sound. And even if you stray from him, Romans 8.28 is always in the background. How God works all things, and I mean all things, together for good. To those that love God. To those which are the called according to his purpose. So Genesis 31, uh, Laban catches up with his daughters. He challenges them. She lies to her father because sin spreads. Sin is contagious. And to be fair to Jacob, he was... Furious, verse 36, has no idea what is going on. And on top of that, it would say elsewhere that if you find the person who has done this, he must die. Not she. To be fair to Jacob, he had no idea that one of his wives had done this. And of course, the person in question does die. Go back to the book of Exodus. So this is, again, week number 50, month number 12. These are the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments. 
are mentioned ten times in the Old Testament, three times explicitly and seven times unexplicitly, inexplicitly. Sometimes the Ten Commandments are called the words of the Lord, the testimony. But when it comes to the Ten Commandments, the first time that description is uh, cited is from Exodus chapter 34. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, present tense, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. I did this, nobody helped me, out of the house of bondage. You've been physical slaves for 400 plus years. It's now time to come out and worship me. But here's the kicker, verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. And I've shown you already how Rachel and Leah were guilty. They were superstitious. They were into idolatry. Eve, again, was probably the first to fall prey to idolatry in a spiritual sense. But Rachel and Leah fell guilty to this in a physical sense. Keep your hand there and go to James uh, chapter 2. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You'd be amazed what uh, gods are. You'd be amazed at how people define gods. It's not just literally worshipping a third party or getting a statue or an image and bowing down to it. And I'll further elaborate on that this morning. But the way the law is laid out is in a sense that you can't keep it. The law is against you. You see, it's like this. Before you are born, before you got born, before you were even conceived... You are condemned. And you come into this world, you are condemned. You have Adam's original sin. You have the scar of sin. And that's why the Saviour came to redeem you from the scar of sin. And you come into this world, you are condemned. You are born in a fallen state. You grow up. You come to age. You are now alive. Age of accountability, that sort of a thing. And the law kicks in. David said he rejoiced in the law. He said he loved the law. Paul said the law uh, slayed him. He said he was dead, then he was revived, and the law got a hold of him, said thou shalt not covet, slayed him, he was killed. The law is against you. The law is not your friend. The way this is set up is in such a way you can't possibly keep it. James chapter 2, James chapter 2, look at verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, ten commandments, and yet offend in one point, breach, one point, one part, he is guilty of all. Did you get that? For whosoever, man or woman, shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one part, one point, one aspect, he is guilty of all. Go back to the book of Exodus. You can't keep the Ten Commandments. You can't keep the Ten Commandments. You can't even keep the spirit of the Ten Commandments. And God spake all these words, not some of the words, all of these words. He's speaking to Moses on the mounts, you've got four and a half, five million Jews around the mounts, in the surrounding areas of the mounts. They don't physically hear the Lord, incidentally. And I'll discuss that probably next Sunday. And he's speaking oral tradition to Moses. Later, Moses will write this down. But now the Lord is speaking, and it's time to listen. I am the Lord thy God, triune God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. At the time, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. And didn't he just take him out? He crippled the... Egyptians took them out in their droves, out of the house of bondage. Paul says from the book of Acts that you have been transferred from the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and into the light of the Lord. A major transfer has taken place, a major airlift. You think the Berlin airlift in 1949 was a big deal when the Allies dropped food to starving uh, Germans in uh, occupied Germany, and they certainly did. Hundreds of planes were sent from parts of Germany, British and American planes. They flew over Germany, 1949, and they thought, what's going to happen? Is Uncle Joe going to shoot down the planes? Didn't do a thing. 
and those planes took off. I mean, millions were starving all over Germany, and Stalin thought that the Allies wouldn't have the guts to fly the Berlin Air Airlift, as it was called, and they did, and they saved maybe a million people. It was a terrible time, 1949. That was a major air airlift and a major, a major air drop. It was a picture of redemption. See, it's like this. Let's say you're walking down the streets and you see somebody being attacked, perhaps stabbed or shot. What do you do? Do you intervene? Well, the chances are your phone 999, or if you are an American, 911. And then you may perhaps intervene. Or let's say you're walking down the streets and you see somebody that has been knocked over by a car. What do you do? Do you intervene or do you dial 999 or 911 for a paramedic? And then perhaps you may intervene. Or let's say you're walking down the streets and a house is on fire. What do you do? Do you kick the front door in or do you phone 999 or 911? And then perhaps go in and assist that person. Whether you like it or not, at times you need someone to help you. It could be a police officer, it could be a paramedic, it could be the fire brigade. You need someone to help you. And we refer to this as substitutionary atonements. I can't save myself. I've just given you James chapter 2. It says if you break one part, if you're guilty of breaking one of the parts, one of the points of the Ten Commandments, you've broken all of them. This book is laid out in such a way that you can't possibly keep it. You're not meant to keep the Ten Commandments. And last Sunday I caught Ben Shapiro sitting down with John MacArthur talking about religion. Fascinating to watch. And Ben Shapiro is very popular amongst conservatives in America and probably in Britain as well. He's an unsaved Jew, a very religious Jew. And he made some derogatory comments about the Lord Jesus Christ, which I shan't discuss this morning. But in essence, he was saying to John MacArthur how he was keeping the law. Not just the aspects of the Ten Commandments from the Tanakh, but also from the Talmud. And he believes that there's an un unofficial code, an unofficial document, unofficial traditions that are running parallel back in the days of Moses, which of course is incorrect, but he believes that he's been taught that, you see. You can't keep the law. You are in bondage to sin. That's what Martin Luther said. And he was right. You are in bondage to sin. That doesn't mean you don't have free will. That doesn't mean you can't tie your shoelaces in a spiritual sense. But it means you can't please the Lord. You need someone to rescue you, like a policeman, like a paramedic, like a firefighter. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. In any sense of the word, and this was a shock to the Jews, they probably thought themselves this, we can't have Ra anymore. We can't have Jupiter or Mercury anymore or Osiris. We can't have Mary, the Queen of Heaven. We can't have Allah. You mean to say we've got to get rid of all those gods? Yes. This is a covenant that Jehovah is now going to offer the Jews, the people of Israel. And to watch Shapiro, uh, Ben Shapiro, a very clever guy, he speaks faster than I do. To watch Shapiro speaking about how he's hoping, trusting in his religion to save him, he's got no hope. No hope. And he thinks that by keeping the Talmud and the Tanakh, having two sources, is going to somehow assist him. In essence, he's putting himself up as a final authority, like most churches, do, uh, most churches today do. They use two or three translations, and of course they all clash. What do you do when two or three translations clash? You become your final authority. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. But here's the question to ask yourselves. What's your God? You say you're born again? I won't question that. You say you're saved? I won't talk you out of your salvation. But what is your God? How much time a day do you spend in prayer? How much time a day do you spend in the Word of God? How much time a day do you spend watching television? Or going to the gym? Or surfing the internet? Or playing computer games? Or eating? Having meals? It doesn't take long, does it, to work out where your heart is? Or here's another question to ask yourselves. Could you quit it? People say they're not addicted to anything. Okay, could you go six months without television? Could you go six months without Twitter? Could you go six months without Facebook? It gets a bit difficult, doesn't it now? 
Could you go six months without your favourite meal? Without this or without that? That's how the Lord is going to look at your heart. How much time do you spend with him in the scripture, in prayer, or soul winning? Contrast that to television, surfing the net, enjoying yourselves. I remember reading an article a few years ago of a couple that got into exercise in a big way. The girl got into it first. It's always the women, isn't it? Most churches are filled with women and the women take their husbands to the church or to their church. They drag their husbands to the churches with their children. And if a woman gets religion, she gets it in a big way. Let's be quite honest. She gets bitten. Not relationship, let me clarify that, not a relationship, but religion, organised religion. And this couple were into exercise, the girl got into it first, the girlfriend, and she got into it in a big way. She was running every day and got her boyfriend into it. And for the first three or four months, it was no big deal. They both came home from work, put their, uh, their trainers or sneakers on, went for a run, it was all pretty nice. But bit by bit, she got into it more and more and more, and she was running three or four times a day. And the boyfriend said, this is getting too much. It's getting to be too much. Unsaved. And to cut a long story short, it became an idol for her. He couldn't keep up with her. And as a result, the relationship broke down. Verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and show mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Again, you try and keep the commandments. You try and follow the commandments to the letter. Look at it again. Thou shalt, verse 4, not make unto thee any graven image. You've got four commandments dealing with man's relationship to God. You've got six commandments dealing with man's relationship to man. And four or five of these commandments are negative. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Negative, negative, negative. But look at verse four again. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Because the Jews down the line will be guilty of doing this. The Lord knew this, of course, through foreknowledge. The Egyptians have been guilty of doing this. The Church of Rome are prolific for doing this. Any graven image of any kind, but he goes on to further clarify that, of any likeness, of anything that is in heaven above, apart from the uh, cherubims, which were displayed in the temple, any image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above is out. And this makes me think about Holman Hunt. This makes me think about uh, Jack Chick or Peter Ruckman. Wonderful artists, great painters, and they painted pretty much everything. I mean, they painted pretty much everything. When it comes to deity, look at Holman Hunt, that picture of Jesus outside of the door, based on the uh, book of uh, Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him. Holman Hunt has violated this piece of scripture. Or that is in earth beneath. Or that is in the water under the earth. You've got three aspects here. Heaven, earth, the water. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. You go to Lewis, you go to Fatima, you go to Medjugorje. That's all they do on their knees. Worshipping statues, images. Nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Like a husband over his wife, or wife over her husband. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. The consequences are going to follow. Now, the children don't pay for their parents' sins. That has been made clear elsewhere in the Old Testament. But the consequences, 
of how parents live and behave are going to follow down the line. If you think of a typical Irish Catholic family, or a typical Italian Catholic family, or a typical Spanish Catholic family, you've got the grandparents into the Mass, the parents into the Mass, the children into the Mass. And the grandparents set the uh, tempo, if you will, they set the standard. They bring their kids into the world and their kids watch the parents. And then the kids grow up, they have kids and they watch their parents. It's a dangerous game. I mean, if you are a parent, your kids are watching you all the time. And if you are a Catholic, for example, or if, you, or if you'd been a wayward Jew back in the Old Testament and you had statues and images going back to Rachel and Leah, your kids watched you. I mean, look at Reuben. Look at Reuben. He sees Leah. He knows Leah wants to have more kids and he wants to help his mother out like most kids do. And Reuben, her firstborn, goes out, finds the man Drake, brings him back to Leah. And as a result, she gets to sleep with Jacob that night, does a deal with Rachel. Kids watch their parents all the time. And of course, they use your failures, your weaknesses to attack you. And they say, you call yourself a Christian? And they throw that back in your face. You, saw, you, know, you call yourself a Christian? Parents can't win, can they? But the point is this. If you are guilty of idolatry, it could be too much television. It could be too much exercising, going back to this couple that broke up. Too much time on Facebook or Twitter. Not enough time praying or reading the Bible or soul winning. You become guilty of idolatry. And I'll discuss that further next week. I will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. They will suffer the consequences due to their parents' idolatry, having other gods before me, unto the third and fourth generation. Why? Because they hate me. On them that hate me. Idolatry means you hate God. And show mercy, but here's the good thing, and show mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So six verses looking at the beginning of the Ten Commandments. By the time we get through with the Ten Commandments, you will see it's impossible, I mean impossible, to get anywhere near keeping the Ten Commandments. Nothing wrong with using the Ten Commandments to show people their sin, to show them how wicked they are, and then break down the Ten Commandments to really bring them to the point of repentance, as some of the great old Methodist preachers would do. But don't try and use those Ten Commandments to cripple saved people. That's what the Lordship Salvation people do. They take the Ten Commandments and they try and get you to follow them, live by them. You won't live by the Ten Commandments. Again, if you don't believe me, just sit down and write down on a piece of paper how much time you spend reading the Bible every day. How much time do you spend praying every day or soul winning every day or interceding for those that are doing frontline work. Contrast that to television, the internet, working out at the gym, doing this or doing that. So you know within five minutes, don't you, where your heart is. And if you think you can beat it, quit it for six months. Try and quit it for six months and you'll see how difficult it really is.